Hey, good morning. I heard some good news this week. I heard that we are gaining uh, three minutes a day of sunlight. I also learned that we are past the date where it can go down below zero, at least historically, it usually doesn't. And is it just a week and we have daylight saving time? It's pretty close, pretty close. So spring is around the corner. It is coming. I have a question for you as we start this morning. When's the earliest time in your life that you can remember getting hurt? Let me tell you mine. I don't remember exactly the getting hurt part, but I remember laying in a bed looking at a television that my father had made because he was in the TV industry, and we had TV before almost anybody had TV back in 1949, I think it would have been. Yeah, I'm that old. And... Uh, and I remember laying there because I had broken my leg on a vacation in Wisconsin, a bad break, uh, still have a scar that's about a foot long, I'm not going to show it to you, um, on my leg, upper thigh, that's why I'm not going to show it to you. And uh, most of the time when we had accidents when we were little kids, our mama would say, oh, let me give it a kiss. And it got all better almost immediately. We are familiar with hurt, aren't we? We've gotten all kinds of physical hurt throughout the course of our lifetime. But unless it's been severe hurt that has crippled you or taken away a limb or given you PTSD or whatever else, emotional hurt, spiritual hurt, deep hurt, hurts almost more than any physical injury. Our story today is about a man who lived 3,000 years ago who know how to, knowed how to experience and did experience enormous hurt. His name is David. He was the second king of Israel. Israel's first king had been a king that the people had clamored for. They wanted to have a king like all the other nations did. He turned out to be not such a good king. His name was Saul. And during the course of his reign, he kept getting worse and worse and worse until he finally took things into his hands that he shouldn't have taken into his hands. And Samuel, the prophet, the first prophet in the Old Testament, had an encounter with Saul where he said, Saul, you're done. You're done. We'll give you a few years yet, but you're done. Samuel went to the house of Benjamin, and Benjamin had several sons, Samuel was looking for a successor to Saul. Benjamin brought out all his son, eldest to youngest. Actually, not the youngest, because the youngest was a boy who was a shepherd boy who was kind of treated poorly by his older brothers. We know that for sure. We know that his older brother, his oldest brother, mouthed off at him quite often. Made him feel lower than a snake's belly. And Samuel looked at all of the older boys that Benjamin brought out and said, that's not the one, that's not the one, that's not the one, until he came to David. In fact, David wasn't even there. He asked, do you have any more sons? And Benjamin said, well, I've, I've got another one, but he's just a shepherd boy. He's out in the field. Bring him here, Samuel said. And David was the man that would take over to be the next king of Israel. 
During that time span that David waited before Saul finally was taken out of the kingship spot, there were many times when David showed his great military skill and his wisdom. Perhaps the greatest that all of us know about was his defeat of Goliath, the giant. I wondered just how big Goliath was. I mean, I knew it in numbers, but just to get a perspective, anybody, I can't remember his name, the, the guy that's the giant in Princess Bride? What is it? And, Andre? Yeah. Uh, I, I got to confess, I watched a little movie clip of him and uh, um, what's the other, it doesn't matter, but he was tag team wrestling with some other guy. And I, I looked up the stats and I discovered that, that Andre was only seven feet two or seven foot four and he weighed 520 pounds. Goliath was almost two feet taller and probably a little bit, at least a little bit, heavier. He was so strong that he, that he managed to handle a spear, if I remember correctly, weighed somewhere around 100 pounds, and the armor that he weighed, that he had on, was just incredible. But David got to him with nothing more than a sling and a stone and the sovereignty of God. And it hit the right spot, and Goliath was a goner. There were many other occasions in this time when David distinguished himself, like the time when they came back from battle and David had outnumbered the enemy that he had taken down than Saul did. And the, the, the women started crying out, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. David served Saul well during those intermediate years. But he also became a friend of Saul's son, Jonathan. That upset Saul. And on one occasion, Saul was so filled with rage that he hurled his spear at his son. And he called Jonathan his son, the son of a perverse and rebellious woman. If you want me to, I can put that in modern English. But I won't. Saul was filled with rage. And he also tried to kill David by pinning him to the wall with his spear. David was playing his liar at the time. Saul, by this time, had fallen into deep spells of rebellion and deep spells of dismay. And David was the one who would come in and soothe him with the playing of an Old Testament stringed instrument. Finally, things got so bad that David knew it was time for him to flee. And in the months that followed, Saul chased David throughout Israel with 3,000 soldiers. And David was on the run with 600 of his followers. It is likely that Psalm 35 was written during those months. I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you have them with you, and turn with me to Psalm 35. Psalm 35. This is an amazing passage that unlocks some very precious treasures from Scripture. In it, David gives us a clinic on how to heal 
your hurt, how to heal your hurt. First, I noticed as I was studying this passage, without commentary, by the way, I had some sheets that were going to be handed out this morning, but I don't think they got to you. Maybe they'll be at the back at the end of the service. But I want you to take a look at the text of Psalm 35 and notice that there are numerous times when in this psalm, David uses the pronouns I, me, or my. In fact, I I decided I would start highlighting them and over and over again. You got it? Good, good. Notice notice the times that, that I, me, or my are highlighted, and I kept getting higher numbers because you miss it when you're trying to do it, but I, I finally got to 48 times in this one chapter that David uses those personal pronouns. What does that mean? Well, it means that David is getting personal with God. It means that David is sharing his heart with God. Notice 11 times David cries out, Lord, and two times he cries out, my God. God is a relational God. He always has been. He always will be. He didn't need us for him to become relational. God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He knows what relationships are all about. It is his nature. Invite God into your hurt. Get personal with God. He understands hurt. Secondly, I noticed as I studied this passage that we need to be honest with God. God already knows everything you're thinking about. He knows it right now. Let it all out. Let it all out unedited. Listen to David. We'll look at some of the verses, but in these verses together, David uses phrases like this. They seek my life. They plot my ruin. They gnash their teeth at me. They gloat over me. They maliciously wink the eye. They devise false accusations. Let's take a look at verses 2 and 3 of this precious psalm. Beginning in verse 2, David says, Take up shield and armor. Arise and come to my aid. Banish spear and javelin. He's talking to God. Banish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Look down at verses 7 and 8. Since they hid their net for me without cause, and without cause dug a pit for me, may ruin overtake them by surprise. May the net they hid entangle them. May they fall into the pit to their ruin. I showed that passage to one of my close friends, had him read it. We get together once a week. He said, That's not very politically correct. I said to him, neither is it Minnesota nice. That's just raw. How can can he be doing that? How can David be asking God to strike at his enemies? This is an imprecatory psalm. 
The root of that word means to judge or to even curse. What David is doing at this time is calling down God's curse on his enemies. But he only wants God to do it. He's not going to do it himself. But what are we to think of this? Some, some of you might be thinking, I, I don't think we should talk to God that way. There are also psalms of complaint, like Psalm 88. Psalms that are maybe not against others, but some that are even against God. Psalms that question God. Psalms that say, why God? Lord, why do you hide your face from me? Lord, why do you abandon me? I want to put up on the screen a quote from a book that I've been reading this week. I just came across it in an article about two weeks ago. Ordered it when it was at my doorstep the next day. Can we have it up on the screen? It starts by saying, God is not so insecure and unsure of himself that he can't take our criticism. God not only allows these words, he is ultimately the author of them. If you and I believe that this is the inspired word of God that you hold in your hands, then he's the author of all of it. God's saying this. He's putting words in David's mouth. It goes on by saying, the wondrous thing about these psalms is that in them the Lord gives his people words to say when we're numb with pain. These are the prayers for the troubled. Derek Kidner says, the very presence of these psalms in the Bible shows us that God has not abandoned those who were full of trouble and despair, but that he is still with them. He wrote these psalms because he knows how men and women speak when they are desperate. The psalms are God's way of giving us words when we don't have any. Or maybe when we are fearful to express what we're thinking. One of the fourth century Christians who was a theological scholar by the name of Athanasius, who during that time defended the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, against the Arian um, heresy that was pressing its way around in those days against the Trinity. Athanasius, I think, said it best. Most scriptures speak to us. The Psalms speak for us. Eugene Peterson, that uh, wonderful, distinguished pastor and author of the, uh, the message translation of the Bible, indicates that from the beginning of Christianity, Christians who wanted to learn how to pray opened to the Psalms and prayed them. You, you still may be saying in your heart, I'm, I'm not sure we should ask God, why? Then look at this. Look at this. My God, 
my God, why have you forsaken me? That was not a quiet prayer. Who uttered that prayer? Jesus. I looked at the text this week and discovered that he didn't just whisper it. He cried out loud from the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Doesn't he know that the Bible says God will never leave us or forsake us? What's wrong with this guy on the cross? Who thought of those words before Jesus did? David. David. Look at the other side of your sheet. Psalm 22. How does it begin? My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? My, I, I don't... I don't even know how to get, wrap my head around this, but I, I want you to think about this for a moment, that a thousand years before Jesus went to the cross, God the Father breathed out those words. The Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed. God the Father breathed out those words. The Holy Spirit went to work and moved along one of the ancients by the name of David who penned those words on parchment. And a thousand years after God originally inspired those words, Jesus hollered them out from the cross. Psalm 22 is not only a, a psalm that is filled with the angst of the Savior on the cross who questions his Father out loud, but this is a messianic psalm. This is a psalm that long, long before Jesus went to the cross, tells us about the cross. Notice. Notice these verses. Notice verses 6 through 8. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Take a look at verses 16 through 18. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. In early New Testament times, there were no markings in the Bible, either old or 
New Testament that were being put in print at that time or, or autographed, most of the New Testament wasn't finished until late in the first century. Psalms and the Old Testament had been around for a while, but there were no verse markings, no chapter markings. But the Psalms were a little bit distinct in that they, they stood alone. They each kind of had their own characteristic with, with some kind of title over them. But the way that somebody would know what Psalm is being referred to is by the first line. That's how they would... That's how they would remember the psalm. They wouldn't say Psalm 22 says. They would say uh, this psalm uh, that starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now follow me closely. I can't prove this. But, but I have a strong inkling in the depth of my heart that when Jesus was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I believe with all my heart that inside his heart, because I'm sure he knew the scriptures, inside his heart, he was quoting the words that David had penned a thousand years before. Some of those words in Psalm 22, I mean, some of them are generally, I mean, they're very general, and they could be, David could use those to describe himself, but there are some of these words that David... David would not have experienced. Crucifixion wasn't even known in ancient times. And David speaks of holes in his hands and in his feet and his garments, people casting lots for. The Savior understands our hurt. The, the psalms identify with the pain and the agony that you and, I, you and I know about. And not only are we called to be personal with God, but we're called to be honest and open, unedited. And Lord, this is just how I'm feeling. Lord, I don't like the way they swindled me. Lord, I don't, I don't like the way he talked to me. I don't like what he said to me. It hurt. It hurt hard. But part of the healing process is to let it out. Thirdly, David releases his hurt to God. So release your hurt to God and trust him to take care of things. Let me just warn you that if you, if you don't, if you ignore your feelings, they go underground. They go underground. And just like dandelions that you try to cut off at the top, they just keep popping up again here and there and everywhere. Anger that is pushed inside will show up again as anger or depression. It's just the way our emotions are. And God understands that. And God wants us to, to let that out, to, 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 to let him take care of it. David didn't avoid his emotions. He, he puts them all out on the table. God, I'm angry at you. God, I'm, I'm frustrated with you. God, I don't know why you don't do this or you do that. Now, care, be careful with this. I'm not advocating navel-gazing or what I call ingrown eyeballs. 
I'm not saying that you just should sit around and endlessly uh, go over your troubles again and again and again. Some of you know people who just, they've had some bad things happen in their life and the rest of their life is just a, an elongated pity party. That's not what I'm talking about. I am saying release your hurt to God. Look at the, look at the yellow um, the yellow highlights um, in uh, Psalm 35. We've, we've already read these highlights, but I want you to also notice how David not only releases these things to God, but that he, he trusts God to work things out. Look at verse 10. My whole being will exclaim, who is like you, Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and the needy from those who rob them. Look at verses 27 and 28. May those who delight in my vindication shout for joy and gladness. May they always say the Lord be exalted, who delights in the well-being of his servant. My tongue will proclaim your righteousness, your praises all day long. What I'm saying is that not only does, not only does David release all that stuff to God in his prayer, but he trusts God to take care of things. He, he's, he's not going to take... He's not going to take things into his own hand. He's not going to retaliate. He's not going to go for revenge. I, I know that because I want to take you back to a scene in David's life when he is running from Saul. Mind you, Saul is still chasing him with his 3,000 soldiers. And Saul comes upon a, a, a cave and Saul needs to... Saul needs a restroom. And uh, the Bible says that Saul steps into this opening of the cave, having no idea that David and his men are back in the, the back of the cave. And, and Saul relieves himself. And David's men are saying, this is our chance. You can get him. Go get him. And David creeps up to Saul and cuts just a small corner off his robe. And when he goes back to his men, his men say, what? That was a big chance. Let us get him. And David says, no. And the Bible says that just as he cut off the corner of Saul's robe, that his conscience was stricken. So David lets Saul go out of the cave and follows him, and with him only being a few steps away, he draws Saul's attention to this piece of garment. Listen as I read what took place. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king, when Saul looked behind him, Saul, David bowed down and prostrated himself 
prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, he calls God, he calls Saul his father. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there's nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hurting me down, hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. You've been hurt? You mad? You mad as hell? You want to fight back? Tell God you want to punch the other guy in the face. God can handle that. God's got big shoulders. And when you admit what's in your heart to God, he already knows what's there, and he'll help you work through it. David releases his hurt to God. We don't have time to look at it, but when you get home, take a look at the yellow highlights in Psalm 22, and you'll discover that Jesus did the same exact thing. He released his hurt to God and put it in God's hands. I have a quote from this book that I mentioned just a little bit earlier. And it starts out like this. Much, have we got it, guys? Just a two-line quote. While they're finding it, I'll read it to you. Much of what God is doing in us is slow, quiet work. It isn't normally radical progress. Read that with me, will you? Let's read it together. Much of what God is doing in us is slow, quiet work. Let's start again, okay? Instead of us, say me. Much of what God is doing in me is slow, quiet work. It isn't normally radical progress. The Psalms give us a model for healing prayer and transformation. Don't, don't, don't take revenge. When, when we follow that path, we almost always go overboard. Our, our adversary throws a firecracker over the wall into our backyard, and we decide, I'm going to get even. Instead of getting even, we throw a hand grenade 
into his backyard. That's just, that's just how we are. That's the old nature. Just release it to God and trust him to take care of things. Take, take your adversary off your hook. You might be saying, oh, if I forgive him, he's just or she's going to just get away scot-free. Listen, take, take him or her off your hook. That doesn't mean they're off God's hook. God will take care of it. Let's put these three verses up on the screen. Because the last thing I have to say to you is forgive those who hurt you. Matthew 5.44. Matthew 5.44. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Luke 6.27. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you. I know what this is all about. I've been there. I stood in front of the congregation that I pastored in a particular city. It was... uh, a congregational meeting at the end of the year for most of the the meeting was, you know, finances, this, that, and the other thing, reports. Towards the end of the meeting, a man who uh, attended and was a member of the church who, if I told you his name, you would know who it is. The very um, prominent religious leader he stood up. He was probably about as far away from me as uh, Bob is from me. And he started out by saying these words. You know, we used to have a hot pulpit in this church. And he proceeded to just rail on me. I don't know how long. It seemed like an eternity. Probably was only three or four minutes, but that's long enough. I, I felt like I'd been hit by a pile driver that drove me into the ground 10 feet. I was broken. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that I am Andy Stanley, okay? Or name your favorite preacher. But when you attack something that a guy has spent his life doing and just work his heart out to make God's word clear, it, it just cut to the core. <laughs> the, the, amazing, the amazing thing was, I mean, I went out of that place just broken. About three weeks later, I got a piece of mail that just kind of stumped me. It was from the, the acting secretary of the Christian and Missionary Alliance denomination. Uh, what? What's this all about? 
I opened it up and I started reading, and he said, and this is a line that just, I mean, <laughs> it just floored me. <laughs> floored me. He said, uh, the, uh, the committee on council has uh, determined that they would like to have you speak, be the keynote speaker uh, in, the, in the communion and healing service at council, the general council of the Christian and Missionary Alliance this year. Huh? I mean, that's not like, that's like to, to two, three thousand people. I've never preached to a crowd like that in my life. Never have since. But it was very well received. But, I mean, two, two weeks ago I just got told that, I, that I've ruined a hot pulpit. And now I'm getting a letter asking me to... I, that, that. Have you ever cried and laughed at the same time? I was, I was absolutely, listen to me, I know, I understand this, release your hurt to God, and he will take care of things. You know what else I learned to do? I learned to, I learned to pray for those who hurt me. I learned to pray deliberately and with difficulty. Lord, Lord, uh, um, Lord, uh, Lord, Lord, but Lord, bless him. Bless him. Now I also prayed, Lord, discipline him. <laughs> I mean, I'm not that much of a saint. <laughs> and uh, I also said, Lord, Lord teach him a lesson. <laughs> but, Lord, bless him. Was it hard? Oh, you bet your boots. But you want to know something? In time, in time, the dark cloud that hung over me lifted. No revenge. Is forgiveness hard? Is it sometimes a slow, arduous, and even mysterious journey? Yeah. It takes place in the hidden part of our lives through the presence and ministry of the Lord Jesus who knew far more than you and I ever have what it is to be hurt. We're going to take a, just a minute like we have been doing lately. Um, I, I've, been, I've been praying real hard this week that 
if there are folks here who are hurting. I, I have no idea what your hurt is. You, you know, it's even possible for you to be hurt still from something. You can't even go and approach the person that hurts you because they're not around anymore. They're gone. Maybe it was a father or a mother. I don't know who it was. I, I'm just saying, take some time to dump your heart on God and leave things in his hands and pray for your accuser. And God will make a work a miracle in your heart. We're going to take a minute to pray. After that, we're going to sing a song. While we're singing that song, it's a little different. While we're singing the last song, I'd like for the um, prayer team to come up front. And at the same time, if God's working on your heart and you've got something, you just got to settle with him. We're not going to bug you. If you want to pray all by yourself, then just come on up and kneel at one of these front rows. If you want somebody to pray with you, raise your hand. If you want to come up straight to a prayer team member, you can do that. But if you're hurting, if you're hurting, um, let us pray for you. So let's, uh, let's take just a minute and uh, bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's, uh, let's just talk to God.